I invite you to remain standing for the reading of Scripture today, which comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke 10, 25 through 37, we hear the words of the Gospel. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And then who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. When he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Then go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let us pray. In our hearts and minds by the power of the Spirit. Lord, as Scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Today we continue our worship series entitled Hot Topics, and uh, we pick up on uh, different questions of our faith that we ask or may uh, be scared to ask or may have been wanting to ask a long time and just never did. And so we continue today with asking the question, can only one religion be true? Can only one religion be true? So let's talk about religions for a few minutes. Religions have taken a variety of forms throughout human history. Religions are, are cultural systems that provide answers and, and practices relating human beings to a perception of ultimate reality. Religions provide answers to the questions about the ultimate reality of the universe. Questions like, is there a God? Where do I come from? Who is God? What is the purpose of life? What happens in death? How should we live? And many, many other questions as well. In answering uh, such questions, groups of people find common approaches uh, to the many different parts of life. Together, they build a common culture and a common way of life that define many of the values and rituals and belief and moral standards that shape humanity. Religion has shaped many other parts of, uh, of life as well, including aspects of law, ethics, government, education, war, peace, economics, and religions among groups of people and smaller groups of people, smaller religions among groups of people. So then the question is, how can we best define religion, at least for the purpose of our question today? The best definition that we can use today, at least for our context, is this. 
Religion is a group of people who share common beliefs and common practices based on those beliefs. Simple, straight to the point. This is religion. And today, there are numerous variances of religions to choose from. Uh, I've got some numbers for you, and for some, these may be staggering figures. Perhaps you've seen these, perhaps you have no clue, but I want to share them with you because I think they're fascinating. But the top ten religions by number. First, Christianity. 2.4 billion, or 31% of the entire world's population is Christian. Number two, Islam. Islam. 1.9 billion, or 25% of the world's population. The third, Hinduism. Hinduism. 1.1 billion, or 15%. The fourth one, this one may catch you because I didn't expect this. Chinese traditional religions. Chinese traditional religions. 394 million or 5%. Moving right along, the next one, Buddhism. Buddhism. 506 million people or 5% of the world's population. The next one is the primal indigenous or tribal religions. And now these encompass um, different primal, indigenous, or tribal religions around the world. It, it's not the same religion, but a collection of those that would classify under this category. And that's about 300 million people, or 3% of the world. Uh, the next is African traditional and diasporic religions. And that is 100 million people, or 1.2% of uh, the world. The next is uh, one called Sikhism, a religion called Sikhism, 26 million people, 0.3%. And then Spiritism, 15. Finally, the one that made me gasp that didn't realize it was so far on this list down because it is at the very bottom, and that is Judaism. Judaism, the 10th largest religion in the world at 14.7% million or 0.18% of the population. Then the other number that is completely staggering to me is those who claim no religious affiliation or claim non-religion or claim atheism, claim agnosticism, claim no religion what the world, uh, whatsoever in the world. 1.2 billion people or 15.6%. That would actually fall, if we put it in line, that would be the third largest, quote, religion. <laughs> if we put it in line with the religions. If nothing else, these numbers are eye-opening. With each of these different uh, areas come different sets of belief, come different sets of practices. So the question can, is, can only one of all of these be true? Can only one set of beliefs, whether they fall under one of these religions or whether they fall under the, the non-religious category, can only one be true? Of course, most of these would claim, yes, only one can be true, and it's mine. <laughs> only one can be true. So then how does one true uh, choose? How does one 
choose what to follow. It is important for us to keep in mind today that for us and for all the people in the world, choosing religion is an act of faith. Choosing a religion is an act of faith. Religions seek to connect human beings with what they understand to be ultimate reality. And that reality is most often found outside the realm of ordinary knowledge and ordinary understanding. We have a fancy word for it. It's called metaphysics. It's found outside of what we can explain in the natural world. Faith, then, is thus a decision and commitment to live our lives according to that set of beliefs about God, about the world, and about our purpose in life that cannot be proven objectively. Last week we answered the question, how can I believe in a God I cannot prove? Well, we answered the question that said, at times, oftentimes, God cannot be proved. Neither can the argument that says God does not exist can also not be proved. And at some level, it is unnecessary to try and prove. That follows our definition this week of faith. So for us, it is an act of faith as Christians to choose to commit to trust that God is real and that God has been revealed through Jesus Christ as attested in scripture. You know, I, I'm so amazed at the different testimonies of, of how people came and arrived at this decision of faith. Some people some have And some people are still living their testimonies today. I bet every single person in this room has a different story of how they came to sit in the spot that you sit in today or watch from where you're watching today. And I bet we could go around the room and tell a different, amazing, truly, uh, truly faithful story of life. We're not going to do that for the sake of time today, but... I would love to hear your stories. Mine is quick and simple. I, many of you know mine already. I was raised in the church. I was brought faithfully to the church. My grandfather, my uncle, two of my uncles were ministers in the church. Therefore, I didn't have a choice but to go to church. And so I learned in Sunday school, I learned through children's church, through sitting in the, in, in the sanctuary. One of my favorite activities whenever I was five and six years old was to sit in church and as soon as the preacher said amen, beat the other guy at the other end of the sanctuary to the back to let children's church know that church was out. That was one of my favorite activities. But I can also pinpoint exactly when I understood what it meant to accept Jesus Christ into my heart. I don't remember my exact age, but I was about seven or eight, at least, somewhere, somewhere in that range. And, and I had heard about that my entire life, accepting Christ as your Savior. 
asking Jesus to live in your heart. And, and we were on our way to church one Sunday morning, and I asked Mom what that was all about. So what, what exactly does that mean? And then she led me through, well, you know, this is what you've been hearing about, but this is what it means to accept Christ. And I'll never forget it. We are at the top of the I-210 bridge heading into Lake Charles to go to church when I, at seven or eight years old, officially asked Jesus into my heart. Yes, I was raised in it, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans until you know Jesus personally. And that was my moment. I bet each of you have a story similar. Part of this faith commitment is, in fact, believing that only one religion can be true. It's part of it. Oftentimes, believing that our religion is the only truth, though, listen to this, often believing that our religion is the only truth can lead to treating others in the way that our very faith teaches us not to treat them. The question then that is raised is this. How are we called to live with others in religions that may or may not be the same as ours? How are we called to treat those in other religions? In our church, in the United Methodist Church, we do in fact believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We start with the prevenient grace of God that every human has received God's grace and God is working in our lives to bring us toward salvation through Jesus Christ. Our belief in this uh, unique path of, of salvation, though, can never be used to justify putting down other religions and the gifts that they have to give to the world. This is the importance of our message today, folks. That we proclaim a gospel, or that we have a gospel to proclaim, is not grounds for hurting others. We need to be vigilant against our own hostilities and follow Jesus in the way that Jesus actually teaches. To love other people. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. To love your neighbor as yourself. What is important to remember is that there are still many valid and valuable beliefs and practices in other religions. Many religions teach moral values such as loving your neighbor, such as caring for uh, the poor, such as respecting creation, such as practicing prayer and working for the common good. Other religions teach the same similar values. They may be a little different here and there, but they teach valuable principles. How can we not then look at the beliefs and practices and examples of many other religions and not say that God was somehow at work in them. It's a question that, that we have to ask ourselves. John Wesley himself, the founder of Methodism, approached this particular topic himself by saying that God will judge us all according to how we use the grace that we have been given. God will judge us all based on, uh, according to how we use 
the grace that we have been given. Folks, God can save whoever God wants to save. And it is not our place or our right to say who can and cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That is God's decision only. Someone say amen. amen. Wesley's view leads to a spiritual attitude of openness and curiosity. When we encounter a follower of another religion, we should be asking, how is God's grace at work in this person? in this person's life, and in this person's practice. Except oftentimes our first question to ourselves is, how can I convert this person? <laughs> I didn't say you had to agree with their religion, but our religion teaches love and grace, not conversion in numbers. Hello? Listen to the uh, 2008 book of resolutions of the United Methodist Church. This is one of our official stances, and I like the 2008 version. I know we've had two versions since this, but I like how this one was worded, and I think it's still valid for us today, but I want you to hear this. It says, while we as Christians respond faithfully to the call to proclaim the gospel in all places, we can never presume to know the full extent of God's work in the world, and we recognize the reality of God's activity outside church. It is central to faith that salvation it is accomplished not by human beings, but by God. We know that judgment as to the ultimate salvation of persons from any faith community, including Christianity and Judaism, belongs to God alone. Folks, we don't do the saving. God does. We also don't do the judging. God does. We firmly believe that God can welcome people into heaven who faithfully practice other religions if God should choose to do so. However, here on earth, as Christians, we are called to offer Christ at every opportunity. We are called to look for common areas of interest and concerns where we can work together, where we can be the hands and feet of Christ. On one hand, there are good people who believe and who follow other religions, and we should treat them with love and respect and curiosity. We know God's grace is at work with them, and they may have things to teach us about God, about the way that they live, about the way that we can interact with them and others like them, we always have something to learn. Folks, when, 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 you, when we think we know everything, particularly when it comes to faith, then that's the first step to indicate that we failed somewhere. Because <laughs> we are always learning. And as Christians, we should always be open, open to learning something new. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus told the story that we call the story of the Good Samaritan. When a man was wounded, it was a Samaritan who bandaged his wounds. Folks, you've got to understand something, the context behind this story. Jews despised Samaritans. Okay, The land of Samaria was north 
of the land of Judah and, and, and the Holy Land that we call today. It was north of that. And Samaritans were seen as unclean, as impure, as having come from um, the interbreeding uh, of, of non-pure uh, 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 backgrounds and genes. And so they were seen as dirty, impure, unclean, uncalled people. And so obviously they were looked down upon. Yet Jesus used this example of how the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving our neighbors, should transcend animosity. On the other hand, we believe that ultimately the other religions are at best incomplete, and we believe uh, that in some way other religions are wrong. Therefore, we are called to live in the extreme center of reality. This means holding both our truths and our faith and our love for all people, including non-Christians, in productive tension. Productive tension. We must believe and act on both our faith and our truths. We also, as Christians, have a strong obligation both to love and to evangelize. Do you know what to evangelize means? It means to offer Christ at every opportunity. Did I say shove it down people's throat? <laughs> Absolutely not. Remember, who does the saving? God. It is our calling to do the offering. We are called to love and to evangelize. I want to close with a quote from Bishop Scott Jones, who's the resident bishop of the Texas Conference. He also authored a book entitled Ask Faithful Questions in a Skeptical Age, and it is... Uh, one of the resources that I use in producing this series. And so some of the material that you're hearing uh, comes from him, but this particular quote I wanted you to hear that comes directly from Bishop Jones, and I think it is uh, fitting to end on this. And it sa he says this, To evangelize non-Christian persons without loving them fully is not to evangelize them well. To love non-Christian persons without evangelizing them is also not to love them well. Loving God well means loving one's non-Christian neighbor evangelistically and evangelizing one's non-Christian neighbor lovingly. So the question then becomes, who have you shared your testimony and the gospel with recently? Who have you offered Christ to recently? Who have you come across who does not follow Christ and you listened to intently? Who have you loved despite themselves recently? And who has loved you despite yourself recently? Folks, this is our calling. This is who we are as followers of Christ. We're called to love. We're called to offer Christ. 
But the word religion will never trump grace. This is the gospel message. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.